We are continuing our study through the book of Acts. Last week we ended with the church beginning to expand. It was beginning to grow in the first century. As we mentioned, it first went to the Jewish people. God says to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So it started with the Jews. And then it kind of made its way to the Samaritans, which were kind of a Jewish offshoot. And then it kind of made its way to a Gentile family. And this Gentile family was kind of associated with the synagogue in Antioch. So it really hadn't broken any boundaries yet. But it was beginning to. It was beginning to push the boundaries of the Jewish forms and traditions to the breaking point. And eventually, it would have to break off from, from the Jewish faith and Jewish believers. It would have to become fully Christian. The Gentile uh, church would get to the point where it no longer had to be bound by the rules of the Jewish faith. If you read Acts 15, it talks about the, the council and how do we deal with the Gentiles? And we're Jewish, how do we deal with the Gentiles? And it talks about that. Well, at the end of a chapter 11, we see the beginning of the first break. And it says this, Acts 11.25 says, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to find Saul. When he found them, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching a great number of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So now you begin to see the break. They're no longer Messianic believers. They're now called Christians. So we begin to see the peeling off of the Gentiles from the Jewish faith. And now we come to chapter 12. And this is a passage, if you read it, it's very exciting, but it's also very humbling. And if, I don't know if you've read this, like me, you've read it a couple of times, you gloss over it, and you kind of miss some of the truths that are in it. Maybe you reread it again, and you see something else. And the one thing that's evident in this chapter, or at least to a certain degree, is the sovereignty of God. How many know what the sovereignty of God is? Sovereignty of God means God can do whatever God wants to do, however he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it, with whomever he wants to do it, without having to explain it to us. I had the privilege of teaching yesterday at, uh, as Keith is going through Berean or Global University, there's also a different branch of that called uh, Pendel School of Ministry. And rather than doing it correspondence, they, they meet once, I think once a month for a, a full day for a teaching. And you get your classes that way and you go to a location. And yesterday we taught on, or at least my subject was kind of boring, you think. It's uh, history of the AG and constitution of bylaws. It's a yawner, you know, you read that stuff. And we had to go through Robert's Rules of Order. But the, the point we talked about, and we've got a lot of question and answer during the time, and we did get onto the 16 tenets, and one of those tenets is healing. And basically, when we come to the question of healing, we don't know the answer to everything. I mean, realize that. Why does God do this over here and not do it over there? The answer that everyone agreed was, we don't know. It all comes down to the sovereignty of God, that God does, does what he's going to do without having to explain it to us. And we're going to see a little bit of that in Acts chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, it says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Now, Agrippa, if you don't know, he is the, the evil grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was one that killed all the babies while he was trying to kill the Messiah, you know, at Christmas time. He's a nephew of Herod Antipas. He was the guy that had John the Baptist beheaded. So his... His whole family was wicked. 
evil. And the Jews all hated all the Herods. So what they tried to do is they tried to please them. Herods tried to please the Jews in order to get them to like him. And that's why, you know, it pleased his wife to behead John the Baptist. So he tried to get in good graces with the Jews because he knew they all liked it. He, they all hated him. And so what he started to do was to persecute the new believers. Because as we know, the Jewish people weren't too happy with the Christians at that point. And so he figured he can ingratiate them himself to the Jewish rulers if he persecuted the Jewish Christians. So that's what he started to do. Because what the Jewish believers were doing was they were all in favor of this. If the Jewish rulers can get Herod to persecute the Christians, that takes a load off their back and also enforces it with the power of Herod, the power of the law. And what they were doing was getting the government to do what they wanted to do to persecute the Christians. Does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> Getting the government to persecute and come against people of faith. How many times do we see individuals using the legal system currently to stop people of faith? And now since they were admitting Gentiles, the Jews were even more agreeable to the persecution. Yeah, go for it, go for it. You do all the work. We'll get the force of government behind us, and we'll stop this thing right now. Verse 2, it said, Herod had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. James is the first of the original 12 to be martyred. Remember, this is the same James. If you go back in Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 20 says this. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is her request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right hand and the other to your left? This is a, this is a Broadway mom. She's always trying to intervene for her kids. And she's trying to get them places of honor. But Jesus goes on in verse 22, Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow that I am about to drink of? Oh, yes, they replied, we are, we're able. And then he says, you will indeed drink from it, he told them. So this is a fulfillment of what he told them was going to happen to them at that moment. James was killed and with a sword and John would eventually be exiled on Patmos. So they both suffered under under a persecution. They didn't realize it when they agreed to it, but eventually came to realize that following God comes at a price. It's not, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It requires us to do things. It requires us to live for Christ and it may require us to give our lives for the gospel. Acts 12.3 says, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish leaders, he arrested Peter during the Passover celebration and imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod's intention was to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Remember we mentioned that the Jewish leaders liked what Herod was doing because it was helping them to further their cause. So Herod now wants to make a public spectacle of Peter. Bring him out before the crowd, let everyone see it, and let everyone applaud what Herod was doing. Why else would he want to bring him out and do it in public if he did not want 
all the people to start liking him and, and supporting him rather than hating him for what he's done before. He had hoped that this would give him favor with the Jewish people. He thought this was going to be the ticket to, man, the people are going to like me. They're going to follow me. They're going to do everything I want them to do because they're on my side. But then the two most important words in the, in the Bible, but God. Man may plan things, but God gets to say the last word. Verse 5 says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Never doubt the power of a praying church. We heard the good news about Robin this morning. You remember in the, in the Bible where Jesus healed the man who was blind? And at first, all he could see were shadows and, and things like that. And eventually, the guy got healed. That's progressive healing. God may do it instantly, or God may do it over time. So we never know what's going to happen. That's right. And never doubt the power when people agree together in prayer. Why is unity so important to God and so important to the church? Because we're in, we're in unison with God. There's power in numbers. There's power in prayer. As we have mentioned before, now we see the beginning of a small group forming. This was like the local church. They were forming in someone's house. They were all agreeing together and praying for Peter. Uh, the Puritan preacher Thomas Watson says this, the angel fetched Peter, but it was the church's prayer that fetched the angel. You never know what effect you're going to have as we pray. One of the things we talked about yesterday in, in this session and during the Q&A time, one of the, uh, and it's, it's funny, I was, I had about 20 people in my class, and they were all, with the exception of a few of them, they're, they're all kids. <laughs> they're all 20-something kids. And the, the neat part is, out of 20, 14 of them were women. Now, you had a couple older gentlemen there that were going through it, and another older lady who was a missionary at one time. She's going through it. But one of the questions that was posed was, and the gentleman asked me, he said, shouldn't we have an attitude of expectation when we come to church? I said, yeah, absolutely, that's, our, that's what we talk about every Sunday. He said, because one day I, I came to church and I was really needing God to do something. I really needed to hear a, a good sermon. I needed to hear something from God. And I walk in, and it's the kids' program day. He says, I'm thinking to myself, there's a Sunday that's going to be wasted. I'm not going to get what I need. He said, but then I thought to myself, well, God can do what God wants to do regardless of what's happening in church. And so I came expecting I didn't know how it was going to work, but I really came expecting that God was going to meet that need because I really needed it. And he says, sure enough, by the end of the service, I was crying because God did it. It wasn't anything that was planned. God showed up. doesn't matter what's happening up front. You come expecting God's going to show up. If you doubt it, then he's not. But if you really believe that when you walk in these doors that the Holy Spirit is here and he is here to do something in your life, it doesn't matter what happens up front because God is not bound by what happens up front. God can do in your life what he needs to do. And that's exactly what was happening to Peter. Verse 6 says, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, chained between two soldiers with others standing guard at the prison gate. Now we read that, or you read that, does anything jump out at you? 
He's going to be executed tomorrow. I'm not sure that I'd be sound asleep thinking that I'm going to get killed tomorrow. You ever go to bed with things on your mind and you just can't sleep? And it, you just wrestle and you toss and turn and all these things run your mind? Peter was so, so trusting God that he was able to get a good night's sleep. There's a verse in the Bible, I wish I'd have remembered it to write it down, but it says something to the effect that those who trust in God will be able to sleep peacefully regardless of the situation. So Peter, knowing he's going to be executed, or at least brought out before the people, he slept like a baby. In fact, he slept so hard that the angel had to slap him to wake him up. Now, he was calm and asleep for two reasons. The first one was the church was praying for him. When you pray for someone, you pray for God to intervene, and part of that intervention is to give that person peace, right? If you're struggling, you're hurting with something, you want God to give you a calmness and a peace first. Then after the peace, you want God to do whatever you want him to do, heal you or, or deliver you. But peace is part of it. So when you pray for someone, not only do we pray for a resolution to that situation, you pray for peace and comfort during the situation. And the second reason is, I imagine that Peter also prayed for himself. Prayer has a, a way of reminding you of God's promises. You ever pray and then God brings scriptures to your mind? That's what prayer does. It opens your mind up to what you already know. I told the, the kids this yesterday, and I, I drilled in knowing God's word. And I said, the reason that you're going to need that is because at some point, God's going to bring that scripture up to your mind. And that God does not work in a vacuum. If there's nothing there for God to bring up, it's not going to come up. So you got to fill your mind with God's word. So at some point, he's going to bring it back to your mind. And so when Peter's praying, I'm sure he's reminded of, well, here's the verse, Psalm 4, 8. He says, I will lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. And then I'm sure he's thinking about something that Paul's going to write later in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. And stay, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. If you need peace, if you need calmness, you need wisdom, let others know so they can pray for you. That's exactly what was happening to Peter. The church was praying for him, and he was beginning to... Remember, scripture verses, he was sleeping, he was comfortable, he was calm about it. There's power in prayer. A lot of times we pray like a perfunctory prayer. And do we really expect it to work? Or do we pray believing that when we pray, this is actually going to happen? Peter also was able to sleep because he knew what Jesus had told him personally. God gave him a promise. Anybody remember that promise? I'm not sure it's a great promise, but it's a promise. If you remember back in John when Jesus says, go find Peter, bring him here. And three times he said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, yeah, I like you. And Do you love me? And then feed my sheep, love me, feed my sheep. Well, John 21, 17, it ends this way. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And he goes on to tell him what's going to happen to Peter. He says, the truth is when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, Peter wasn't old yet, he was still a young guy. When you're old, 
You will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Look at 19. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. He knew that he was going to die, but he also knew that this isn't going to be the time for that to happen. Now that's kind of a negative promise, but it is a promise for Peter. And I thought about that. What has God put in your heart that's a promise specifically for you? And you're waiting for it to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. And it hasn't happened yet. Don't think that it's not going to happen. And don't think that whatever the world tries to do or things that happen in your life are, is going to derail what God wants to do. Peter knew that this was not his time. And he was confident in the fact that this was not his time because God had told him it was going to be a different thing that happens to him. He was going to die in an old age and Herod was not going to be the one to kill him. He knew he would be delivered from this jail. He wasn't sure how, he wasn't sure when or who was going to do it. He just knew that God told him over here, here's what's going to happen to you in the future. And it wasn't at this particular point. Hang on to the promises that God has spoken to you personally. Don't give them up. They will be fulfilled. We come to verse 7, says, Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel tapped him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your shoes. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. Look at the progression of things that are happening here. I've read this verse, and part of me wonders, why didn't God just beam him out of there? Okay, poof, the chains fall to the ground. He's instantly gone someplace else. Could God have done that? Just like, you know, Philip. He just got teleported to wherever he needed to go. But God didn't do that. He tells him to get dressed. He tells him to put his shoes on. He tells him to get his coat on. God does miracles, but they almost always require us to be a part of it. He was going to deliver him from this jail, but he needed Peter to be a part of what God was doing. God uses people to do miracles sometimes. He requires us to do in the natural what we can do and leave the supernatural to him. You need God to provide you a job? Don't sit in your cows and expect God to do all the work. Get your resume together, knock on doors. You need God to provide you a car? Don't sit in your couch waiting for a car to beam into your driveway. Start looking and God will direct you. You need a healing? Start by going to the doctors. Pray, go to the doctors, see what they tell you. Do what you can do and leave the miraculous up to God. I don't just show up on Sunday without any notes. You prepare. You do what you can do and leave the miraculous up to God. Worship team, they practice before they come on Sunday. Why? You do what you can do in the natural and let God do the supernatural. If 
we don't do what we can do in the natural, God won't move. If I get up here and I'm stumbling all through my notes and I don't say anything worthwhile, what's God going to do? God can still work in your life, but as a rule, what is God going to do for the congregation? If the band comes up and they play a whole bunch of stuff off key and they can't sing, how does anybody get into worship? Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, but the people had to pass them out. And the people had to pick up the leftovers. God raised, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, but as soon as he raised her, he told his parents, feed her. Give her something to eat. The angel could have dressed Peter, could have put his shoes on him, but he didn't. He made Peter do the work. He made Peter do what he could do and the angel was responsible for delivering him miraculously. And I believe that God expects us to do what we can at all times and leave to him the things that we cannot. Verse, uh, Acts 12, verse 9 says, So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was really happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate at the street. And this opened to them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and the angel suddenly left him. God ever do something in your life that you just found it impossible to believe? You just couldn't, you couldn't understand how this was working out so well, so supernaturally for me. You ever, you know, my kids used to sleepwalk occasionally at night. Anybody ever have sleepwalk? You have kids that sleepwalk? And they look like they're fully awake. And they have no idea where they are. They have no idea what's going on. Because they were sound asleep, and now they're up. Peter was so sound asleep that he thought he was dreaming all this. He was kind of in that, you know, awake, not awake state. And sometimes when God works, it's something that's so unique and different to us that we really can't grasp what God's doing. This, this can't be from God. This can't be happening. But in fact, it is. Apart from Peter trusting God and being able to sleep, his actions or actually lack of actions were not why he got out. Peter did what he had to do, get dressed. But he didn't have the knowledge or the faith to do what needed to be done. He was still bewildered about what was going on. It wasn't because Peter had great faith at that moment to get out of jail. It was because other people were praying for him and God sent the angel and the angel did the miraculous. Peter's faith and trust had nothing to do with this escape. He was just following orders in a daze. Sometimes when we pray and even more importantly when others pray for us, God answering those prayers may have nothing to do with your action on a situation. But it may have with the sovereignty of God, that God wants to work. And now at this point, Peter had to trust God and use his common sense to take the next step. There's a, what's the joke? If common sense were so common, why don't people have it? Well, Peter had to use his common sense. Verse 11 says, Peter finally realized what was happening. It's really true, he said to himself, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what, from what the Jews were hoping to do to me. You ever look back on a situation in your life that you thought 
was hard and you look back and you realize that God was there to bring you through. You may not realize it when you're going through, but when you look back and you see, wow, I see the protection that God did there. I did all these, I see all these things now with 2020 hindsight of how God was there and God orchestrated everything. And I were talking last night about coincidences. I don't believe in any coincidence. I believe that God sovereignly sets things up for his purpose. If it happens, and it happened in such a way that it's just so unusual for it to happen, it's not a coincidence. It's God planning what God wants to do, regardless of what we think or know about it. Because God is sovereign, and he wants to get out what he wants to get out. We should always try to be aware of God doing the miraculous. Instead of thinking that our abilities or our smarts help the situation, maybe it was God. Maybe God was the one that gave you the wisdom to make that decision and that choice at that particular moment. We were uh, hauling a load of junk to the dump in a a rickety trailer. And uh, the trailer hitch mounted to the trailer bed, and it just broke right in half. And so we're driving. The trailer hit the ground and started dragging in 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 the ground. And we get out of the car, and we're like, now, now what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this thing? It was full, you know, 800 pounds of junk in the trunk of the, this trailer. How are we going to fix it? And, and the whole point is, after we were done and after we got everything situated, we look back and say, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to finish what we thought was a hopeless thing. How are we going to get this thing? We got the trailer fixed, emptied, back home. You look back in the situation and you say, thanks, Lord for giving me the ability to do that. Thank you, Lord, that nobody got hurt during the time. Thank you, Lord, that everything worked out well. It may have been inconvenient, but I thank you, God, that everything worked out okay. During the time we're fixing it, during the time we're trying to get it ready, a thousand things could have happened that we would have got hurt trying to fix. We look back on it now. Thank you, Lord. The rain kept away. It was a great day. We got everything fixed. Thanks, Lord, for being there for us. Some things that we think that we're doing in ourselves, God gives us the wisdom to be able to fix it. As we're both looking at this thing going, how are we going to fix this trailer? Without welding it, I don't have any welding tools. How are you going to fix this thing? Well, you know what? What I thought was a good idea was actually probably God putting something in my head to do it. So you look back and you see where God worked. Whether or not you think he was there, God was working through you. Now, I mentioned earlier about the sovereignty of God. In this passage, do you ever wonder why God delivered Peter, but not James? They were all three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Did he love Peter more than he loved James? Was James doing something they shouldn't be doing? No. Both were very godly servants, The early church surely could have used James to continue on to push the gospel out. Was no one praying for James? They were praying for Peter. I think the answer to that is all those questions are no. The answer is we don't know. The sovereign will of God. Why did James die and Peter not? We don't know. 
We do not know the mind and will of God here. We don't have an answer to that question. And actually, we don't have an answer for the rest of the Bible about why that happened. Why, when John the Baptist was in prison and Jesus could have miraculously released him, the Bible says he got out and started walking the other direction of where John the Baptist was in jail. And eventually, John the Baptist was beheaded. Why did Jesus not rescue him? We don't know. Why are some... Why do some face trials that are harder than others? We don't know. Why does God heal one and not heal another? We don't know. You all had that school bus here that was hit by the wrong way driver a dozen years or so ago. Church group going to youth camp. And all the kids in the bus were killed. Did God not protect them? Did God not love them? We don't know. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And this is where faith comes in. When you can't explain something, you don't know why God's doing it. Another question is, would Peter have been delivered had the people not been praying for him? Why would God put such an emphasis on prayer in his word if it did not matter? The point is, we don't know how God will answer our prayers. God calls us to pray and leave the results to him. We pray, the acronym PUSH, pray until something happens, you keep praying. One that, you know, we kept talking about that at the seminar yesterday. Maybe the family had been praying for so long, maybe if they stopped praying a few days earlier, Angel wouldn't have come. And Daniel, he prayed three weeks, and it took exactly three weeks for the angel to arrive. Had Daniel quit praying at two weeks, would the angel have arrived? We don't know. The Bible simply calls us to pray and trust and leave the results to God. And who knows? Maybe the one that you're praying for, maybe that's the prayer that God wants to answer. He's just waiting and waiting to see how serious you are about it. If we get so discouraged that we don't see anything happening and it causes us to maybe stop praying, as I said earlier, maybe you're the one that's praying and that's, that's the prayer that God's going to use to deliver or to heal or whatever the prayer is for. The, the, angels, the angel came because the people at the place, at the house, were, were praying. Now, I actually have a note of break here because... And I, I started to do it, but I figured, well, I'm going to jip you today. I might let you out a little bit early. Because if I, if I start this, it's a whole other thing. But suffice it to say, the people that were praying didn't believe that God answered their prayer. And sometimes it, it's a matter of trust and what God's going to do as opposed to what we may feel at that particular moment. 
Would you stand as we close this morning? One of the things we talked about yesterday was, uh, and I've mentioned it here probably ad nauseum, but the, the, the necessity of knowing God's word, what it really says, rather than what we think it and hope it might say. If we have a wrong understanding of God, a wrong expectation of what God's word actually says, and then when things don't go as we think they should go, then we get disappointed in God, and then we don't believe that God's word is true, and then our faith suffers because of it. I remember I went go-kart riding with my son-in-law a while ago. Fun time. And the go-karts were really low off the ground and really wide. So if you know your engineering or your physics, low center of gravity, low to the ground, pretty wide. There's hardly any way you're going to flip that thing. When you know exactly how that thing is supposed to handle, it gives you the freedom to really lay into it. And I would go around those corners full blast. Everyone else behind me was backing off because they were afraid it was going to flip. But I knew exactly how that thing was going to handle. I knew it would, I couldn't flip it. If you know exactly what God's word says, it gives you the freedom to expect exactly what God's word says it's going to do. When you have a misunderstanding of God's word and it doesn't happen the way you think it should happen, you get disappointed, you back off, your faith isn't there, and now you begin to distrust God. So the reason you need to know God's word is because if you have a right expectation, if you know what God says exactly about a situation, and then when he answers and works that way, you say, yep, I knew that was going to happen because God says it was going to happen that way. And you're not, you're not dissuaded, you're not let down, you're not upset because God didn't come the way you think he should come. When we pray for something, we don't know how God is going to answer it. We believe that God wants to answer it, and our job is to simply pray and believe and keep praying until God either says yes or no or wait. And our job is just to pray and leave the results up to God, whatever it might be. doesn't mean we stop praying. It means we pray and we pray and we pray until we're done, until God works or God answers us in some other way. Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this from me. He could have stopped it too. The third time, God says, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to let you experience my grace so that you know that I'm able to carry you through this. It's not your own strength. It's me helping you to endure whatever it was that thorn in the flesh was. We trust God because of what God's word says, not what we experience, not what we think. We trust it because of God's word being true. Let's pray. Before we pray, every eye closed, your heads are bowed. If you're here and you've never really understood what we've talked about, you've been here a long time or a short time, and you've never really committed your life to Christ, and you don't really understand what we're talking about in this, in this sermon or in this church, the Bible says that Jesus died in payment for your sins. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. There's one sin that keeps us out of heaven. That's a sin of unbelief. But maybe you're here, and as I said before, you're not here by accident. You're here because God has a divine purpose for you. 
a divine reason that you're here. And that reason is so you hear something that was said this morning, something that was maybe sung or talked about in order to get your attention so that you can believe in this Jesus we're talking about. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you've never really accepted Jesus as payment for your sins, but you really feel that this is the day to do that. And that's just telling me that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do that. The Bible says no one comes to God unless God's Spirit draws him. That means if you're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about him so that you're able to make the choice. He will draw you. He will woo you. He will knock on your door. But he will not open it. It's a choice you have to make. And if you want to make that choice today, the best choice you'll ever make in your life, I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have a God we can trust. We have a God in whose word we rely. And we're thankful for a God who does miraculously answer prayer. You do supernatural things in our midst. We believe that they're still in operation today. And we pray with that knowledge that as we pray, we expect God to show up. We expect the miraculous. We expect... God, to perform things in our midst that makes other people look at Jesus and glorify God. Something that no one can explain other than it must be a miracle of God. And we thank you for the ability to pray and to trust you in these difficult situations, knowing that God, regardless of what may be going on in our life, you're there, you care, And as we sang, you never let us down. You may not give us everything we've ever asked for or wanted, but you've never let us down. You've never, never let us down. Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here this morning. Really allow them to experience the blessing of God, the the presence of Christ, not only here, but in their homes, in their cars, where they work, and allow others to see that, that presence of Jesus in their life. Lord, I commit each person to you. Protect them as we travel today and allow us to come back on Wednesday again to worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you, Jesus, and we commit ourselves to you in in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a great week. Let me know what God's doing in your life. Testimonies are the lifeblood of the church. People need to hear what God's doing.